The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you like hearing knock-knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh! oh my god, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good, how you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man, what's going on? We ready to go or what? This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that, and every kid up, they knew they could kick the out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of Press 
the victory for Jim Powers on WCW Saturday night. He scores the victory over Horseshoe. That's a, that's a good win. Standing by with a very special interview. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is our flagship interview show, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. I am your host, J.P. John Paz, and on today's episode we have the young stallion, a former WWF and WCW superstar, Mr. Jim Powers. It's about time we finally get on this WWF legend on the show. We love having both tag team partners on the show obviously years back we had on paul roma the other half of the young stallions in the wwf but it's awesome to get on jim and and get on all of his great stories and kind of go down memory lane and learn some things you may not have known so interesting about him is that you don't realize how long he was in the wwf and you know what big time fan been following business forever and you kind of look and you realize like oh my god he had a 10 year run didn't even realize that didn't even think about it 1984 to 1994 some you know little bit of hiccups in between and injuries and different things in between but basically 84 to 94 he was a part of the wwf and we go into extreme detail on that run we talk about big john stud we talk about becoming the young stallions the chemistry or lack thereof with Paul Roma putting together that tag team, why they were that tag team, why they weren't the Italian Stallions, why they were the Young Stallions, a little bit of Bruno San Martino mixed in there, what his thoughts are on Vince McMahon Jr. and working for him for all those many, many years. We also talk about the breakup of the Young Stallions and kind of the uh, rocky relationship that he has with Paul Roma, had and has with Paul Roma. Uh, we go into extreme detail about the tag team division in the WWF during that time period. My God, was it loaded and my God, was it stacked. And he talks about being the sole survivors along with the Killer Bees in Survivor Series 1987, that big time tag match. We go into a whole myriad of topics. We'll talk a little bit about Andre the Giant, Mr. Perfect, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, and all the huge superstars that were larger than life in between. We'll also talk about his run in WCW as well, and how Kevin Sullivan really booked him very, very strong for a period of time there. A lot of wins, and he racked up a lot of wins in a row leading up to a Cruiserweight title match on Nitro against Dean Malenko. So Jim Powers was booked very well in WCW, and we will get that from Jim 1996 to 98 pretty much into his retirement really from wrestling but we go into much further detail and, and it's a long interview it's one of our back to our epic days where they go a little bit longer than normal which i absolutely love those are my favorites so before i send it off to some tmpt business and before we get on over to the interview just want to talk about the tmpt empire just for a brief second please check out rick bassman's talking tough over on podcast one we also have the three-way dance every week as well which is just a new concept and a new show where it kind of features maybe some guys you wouldn't see paired together normally and we're throwing them together look out for some really fun stuff in the future from the three-way dance it's really kind of a, a cool concept and really a great idea also Taking you to school with Dr. Tom Pritchard, of course, on our feed, the two-man power trip empire. Check out Shane Douglas's Triple Threat podcast over on Vince Russo's The Brand. And, of course, Dirty Dutch Mantel, his University of Dutch over on MLW Radio. But right now, 
I'm going to send it on over to some two-man power trip of wrestling business, and then you're going to listen to a great interview with the young stallion himself, Jim Powers. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Rasslin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Michael, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk. Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. WWF and WCW superstar. He was one half of the Young Stallions. He is the legendary Jim Powers. Jim, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate you uh, contacting me. And uh, as I said earlier on other uh, other uh, interviews, uh, dragging me out of my hole that I've been in for quite some time, and this. Uh, these trying times of pandemic and stuff like that, you uh, the less you do, the less you want to do. The more you do, you, the more you want to do. And I'm finding this to be very, uh, doing things like this, interviews, uh, are very cathartic. And uh, that works for me, and thank you. No problem. So what have you been up to? You said you've kind of been in the hole. What have you been up to? Well, I've been, well, other than, other than this quarantine and stay-at-home stuff in New Jersey, which I'm sure you're aware of, yep. um, and trying trying to keep my wife from <laughs> from killing me, but um, it's uh, I, I've been uh, I'm going through. Let's see, it's been two years now. I've been dealing with a shoulder injury. Um, I had it. Um, oh God, I had my shoulder done. Oh, I was up here in New Jersey. I lived in Florida for a little bit, and I came up to Jersey, and I decided that I can't live like this. And uh, we've been up. We've been up in the April made uh, two years that we've been up in Jersey, but I was dealing with my shoulder problem back in Florida when I lived down there, <clears throat> and of course it followed me. Uh, I uh, 
had my first shoulder surgery done, and due to infection, they had to remove the uh, remove the titanium shoulder that they created, as well as the bar that goes down my left bicep. Um, they took it out, and uh, I was on antibiotics from home. Um, the uh, they would send me a box of antibiotics, and I had to separate them quickly because certain ones had to be uh, refrigerated and other stuff didn't have to be refrigerated, uh, things like saline solution, just to clean the tubes because I did have a pick line in my the right side of my body. So the shoulder surgery was on the left side of my body. And what they did was they took it out because of the infection, and they put in what they call a uh, antibiotic uh, spacer. So it kind of like oozed antibiotics, and on top of that, I was having antibiotics put into my arm by my wife every evening when she came home from work for about 40, 40, a little over 40 days. And um, I, the uh, infection cleared up. You know, I was scheduled on March 19th to have my third surgery, which would have been to remove the spacer um, and put in an, an initial piece. You know, like like obviously not the one they took out or put in and took out, but another one similar to that and keep our fingers crossed that it took. So uh, same thing happened with my hip many years ago. So uh, I, I've been pretty much babying that and... Um, I, I just when I started going back to the, and I was scheduled to have it uh, have the spacer removed March 19th um, this year, and uh, this one kind of like all the all of this pandemic and COVID-19 and it all started coming up on the air and it started to become a little it was was snowballing at that time and. Uh, I said, well, I talked to my wife about it. I said, you think I should go in for surgery? She goes, well, call a doctor. And I called the doctor, and he goes, well, I can get you in and out in one day. And I said, oh, right there, that was a red flag for me. You know, so uh, I'm glad I uh, glad I held out. And I'm pretty much, uh, I'm pretty much at home uh, doing what most people do that are retired and you know, going for walks or going over to my neighbor's house on occasion. He has a, a nice weightlifting uh, set up in his garage. It's not anything I'm used to, and I'm limited to what I can do because of my shoulder. Uh, the piece, this, what they call the spacer, is still in there, so it's an, it's not, not weight-bearing. I can't put any weight on it or even going forward and stuff like that. Anyway, I've been pretty much taking care of this shoulder and my body as best I can um, uh, for the last well, two plus years now. And this uh, pandemic uh, didn't didn't has not helped me not one bit because it's putting me. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's doing considerably worse. We know. I think I think in New Jersey we broke was it a uh, hundred thousand deaths today or I'm not sure my my wife usually keeps the uh, the numbers she likes to, to relay them to her mother in Florida but I don't know how many deaths we've had in the state of New Jersey um, I, be, I believe it to be over a hundred thousand at this point but anyhow um, I could be wrong with that but 
and it's a terrible thing, and uh, it's a story that we'll be able to tell our children and our grandchildren for many, many years to come. Yeah, there's a, no doubt about that. That's that's for sure. As far as you, I think something a lot of people, wrestlers and a lot of fans, a lot of people say today, like, if you were around today, you would be a huge star because you'd be one of the bigger guys and you could work and you could move and you look great. You ever get that from a lot of fans or maybe, like, at signings and stuff, like, oh, man, like, you know, you were maybe in the wrong time period as far as, like, size-wise. You know, the 80s, they were obsessed with the big guys. Um, I don't know if I was uh, the wrong um... – no, I, I from, from from where I I see it, it was I had the body, I had the look, I had the hair, the ponytail, the this, the that, the tan, you know, the stuff we used to spray on our bodies to make our muscles look bigger, and you know, there were all the gimmicks and all the tricks, you know, I, I I had that, but the one thing I did not have was playing politics, hmm. and. Um, that included some pretty graphic things that uh, I, I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't look myself in the mirror, and I relayed that to a particular individual who was speaking on somebody else's um, behalf. They wanted me to do certain things that were um, not me, you know, and um, it, 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 that's that that was my. Uh, I wasn't going to do it, you know, sexual favors, you know, I was not going to do that, I wasn't going to play that game, I wasn't going to be a part of Vince McMahon's little inner circle because I wouldn't um, go to the Grand Hyatt Hotel in New York, even though I lived right across the ocean, right across the river, um, to get there and lay on my back, watch porno movies and have sexual acts been done to me, and anything I ever wanted, or anything I ever would like to have done recreationally would have been there for me had I taken this opportunity, plus it'd be two, three hundred bucks at the end of the night, and that's, uh, I think you can read between some of the lines, um, and th- that wasn't me, and then, of course, my bookings had considerably, were, were severed for uh, two months. And it come it had come to my attention. Um, I had gotten a phone call about two months later from um, Jim Troy, who was uh, one of Vince McMahon's um, part of his inner circle, very close to Vince McMahon. And um, he had said he called me, and uh, that guy, I remember it like it was yesterday. He called me and he said. Uh, he says, Jim. He says, uh, we we just found out that these, uh, and I hate to use the expression, and 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 please don't, people don't take it any offense to it, but I understand these fags are working you, and I said, no, no. I said, and this is before I knew any of the terminology when they're working, selling this, that, you know, about wrestling, and they said these fags are trying to work you. And I said, no, no, I feel stupid saying it. I said, no, no, I want to work. I want to work. <laughs> I want to get back in the ring, and I want to work. Well, it's no problem. Uh, we we have your address and everything, and uh, we'll send you. You'll have booking sheets, and uh, you'll booking sheet in the mail to you, and your plane tickets, and you'll go back on the road. And I'm thinking, scratching my head, and I'm trying to figure out what what happened, and. I said, well, I, how did this after two months and 
me kind of like dismissing them, um, all of a sudden now I get a phone call to go back to work. Well, down the road, I, I always got along regardless of the position that the WWF had for me, whether it be journeyman wrestler, mid-card wrestler, enhancement talent, and when people say jobber, fine, you're an ignorant person to use that term. But anyway, I never, you know, it. it I found out, I got along with a lot of the, the guys, uh, Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, Kurt uh, uh, Henning, Rowdy Roddy Piper, God rest his soul. And I, I got along with all those guys, and I had come to find out, I, I was, um, somebody told me, and it wasn't Rowdy, Roddy, because he wasn't going to toot his own horn. Somebody told me, and I can't remember right now, that Roddy Piper had got wind of my situation with the office and the propositioning that I had gotten the proposition that I had gotten, and him being a street kid, if you know anything about his history, he was uh, in the Pacific North, grew up in the Pacific Northwest, and was a street kid, so he had to compromise himself, I'm assuming, and just to survive, and he got wind of it, and that was at the time where, you know, there weren't security guards at the office, there weren't security guards, you could just walk in, and him being a top guy at the time, walked into Vince McMahon's office, and uh, the way I understand it, he blew through the door, and, you know, and he backed Vince up and said, what do we got going on here, world wrestling faggots? And excuse my expression, but I have to quote him the way it was quoted to me. He said, we got world wrestling faggots, what are you doing with this kid Jim Powers? Why aren't you taking better care of him? Why are you trying to work him like this? So that's, that is when Vince McMahon had Jim Troy contact me, and then everything was smooth from then on. You know, my bookings, my, my name was on the booking sheet. I had airplanes, airplane tickets going here, there, everywhere. You know, um, I almost want to write a book, been here, there, everywhere, and seen nothing. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, that that was my, my situation. There was... Uh, I didn't play that game. I wasn't going to because I couldn't. I don't know that I'd be sitting here talking to you right now if I had done that. I have to look in the mirror every day. You know, I have to shave. I have to brush my teeth. I have to, uh, you know, call my hair, take a shower, look in the mirror, and live with myself. And I, it's not my thing. And not that not that there's anything wrong with it. You know, I, I that that's somebody else. That just wasn't me. You know, and if somebody chooses that lifestyle or is that lifestyle, then great. Go on and live it. But don't try to, you know, push it on me. And I, I know Vince McMahon, I was told many times, he had surrounded himself with people like that. And um, he, uh, you know, when you hear a story so many times, there's got to be some validity to it. He would have his limo driver take him from Connecticut into New York City, and he would pick the, pick up the kids off the street, give them a couple hundred bucks or even a hundred bucks, homeless kids, and, you know, put them in the back of the limo and do whatever he wanted to. You know, the kids were out on the streets. They were hungry. They were prostituting themselves. And here comes Vince McMahon and offering X amount of dollars. I wasn't there, so I can't say how much. I can only you know, think about it in my head for the times and all, 
shit, it could have been $10, you know, and if you got a kid who's uh, hungry, homeless, and maybe he's into drugs as well, which is, usually seems to be the case. But, um, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it, my, my situation, I didn't go down that road, and that's why I... Uh, I, 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 that's why I was not pushed any harder than I was. But it, it, see, wrestling to me, people go oh, wrestling. This guy's making millions and millions and millions and millions. I just, I just looked up a funny little fact, and before we got on the phone, I said, well, you know, let me wrestling for me. Let me finish my thought, please. Um, wrestling money for me was a byproduct of doing something that I enjoyed doing. I would do it for nothing, you know, and, and mm-hmm. just just to be, maybe that's a sign of insecurities or it's a sign of, well, look at me now, you, you, you bullies that bullied me when I was younger. I would do it for nothing. And uh, there were times where I would work for a $25 check and drive 150 or 175 miles and then back and have this $20, $25 check and bring it to the bank, and the check would bounce. And so I, money was a byproduct. And maybe I wasn't good from a business perspective, um, but um, it, it, I got the opportunity to do something that I enjoyed, and I enjoyed entertaining. I enjoyed being um in the ring in Madison Square Garden the first time I got there when I got to this little arena here uh, the arena here in New Jersey I don't even know if it's still standing and I live 5 minutes from it but um no I I money was a byproduct for me and maybe that was a bad thing that I had such a passion for professional wrestling that I uh wasn't I mean, I, I when I think back on it and the situation that they had put me in, I really had a, a, I had a little bit more leverage than I thought I did, but I didn't want to play that card. I wanted to, uh, I, I wanted to do something that I enjoyed doing, that I had a passion doing, and um, and 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 I never worked a day in my life, you know. I- when it came to, if you do something you have a passion for doing, it's like the artist or the photographer, which, ironically, my daughter is a photographer, graduated, and now she, you know, now what are you going to do with it? I don't know if you've seen there's a commercial out there on, on TV that I graduated and uh, art is my thing or photography is my thing. All right, so, okay, what are you going to do to make money now? Hmm, right. So, for me, it was... I was doing it, and money was the byproduct. If you find something you enjoy doing, and you're you're getting paid for it, that's a bonus plan. You know, you never work a day in your life. But when I had jobs when I was younger, and even after wrestling, jobs that were, excuse the expression, tit jobs, they were created for me. I would show up for four or five hours, and then leave, and get benefits, and um, I had everything, you know, I started out at almost $50,000 a year, and I had benefits. I was working with this big company, and I I just wasn't happy. You know, I wasn't happy. That wasn't me. So, anyway, I I have a tendency to go off on a rant. Some of my friends, one in particular, 
who worked for the NHL, um, Pat DePuzo, he was a linesman, and he said, James, you can talk the balls off a pool table. <laughs> I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you take it from here. Well, how did you get into the WWF? I mean, a lot, maybe a lot of people don't realize you were technically there more towards like 84 for a bit. So technically, I mean, you're there for a while. I mean, you really kind of came to prominence in 87, but how did you get in? Well, it's um, coincidental. Um, I was working out. A friend of mine owned a gym in Teaneck, New Jersey, which I, I think you probably heard of. Yes. Um, he owned a gym many years ago. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was towards the end of 83. And he had become personal friends with Big John Studd, which is, boy, I wish I could erase that from people, but it's okay. John is a good guy. Uh, was, was a good guy. God rest his soul. You'll catch me doing that a lot probably tonight, but too many of us have left. Um, John John was in the gym exercising, working out, and I have already done, oh, I don't know, quite a few independent shows. We used to go, I know we used to go to um, Easton, Pennsylvania on a regular basis, and I think that was, I think they, they called that ECW before East, Paul Heyman took over ECW. Um, and we used to go there every three to four weeks and do tapings and they would air it on their local channels in Pennsylvania. But anyway, as far as me becoming a, uh, involved with the WWF, John Studd was in this gym that my friend owned, working out. And he introduced me to him, Jim, you know, come on, well, you know, uh, well, well, I'll introduce you to John, you know, you, you're doing the shows. And he was wrestling a little bit too, but he was more of a businessman than he was a uh had a passion for wrestling. He was more about the money. But um, he came from money. But he introduced me to John Studd. And ironically, it was the following day, I believe, that, um, and I had a small car. I don't remember what it was, but it was a small car. And John had said to me, it's nice to meet you. He goes, I am. He says, you look pretty good. You, you know, in shape, you're muscular, this whole thing. You got the hair, the whole thing, you know. He says, uh, Carl tells me that you're uh, you're interested in professional wrestling. I says, well, yeah, you know, I've done some independent shows and, uh, you know, here and there. And, uh, you know, yeah, no, I enjoy doing it. He says, well, you want to take a ride with me up to Poughkeepsie, New York tomorrow, which is uh, where WWF was doing their ta- TV tapings every three weeks. And uh, he says, uh, would you come up with me? And uh, I'll introduce you to the booker, who was at the time George Scott. So I says, wow, I said, that would be great. <laughs> and uh, I, I forget where it was that I picked John up, but he, he says, oh, my God. He goes, I got shoes bigger than this car. Sorry to quote a movie out of an Arnold, uh, quote something that Arnold said in a movie or somebody said. I think it was Arnold that said it in a movie. But anyway. John got in the car, and we drove the 90 miles up to uh, Poughkeepsie, New York. And uh, if John introduced me to wrestling, he introduced me to the... the he, he was maybe trying to show me that what you see on TV, is it's really not real. There's Roddy Piper in a corner sitting on a chair 
you know, Paul Orndorff, Hulk Hogan. Well, Hulk Hogan may have had his own little room at the time. It was a small venue. It was the Mid-Hudson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie. And um, Vince would do tapings uh, twice. Uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Uh, he would do tapings once a month in two locations. So it was always Poughkeepsie, New York, and he would tape three to four weeks' worth of material and then he would go somewhere nearby. Usually it was up in Niagara Falls or even it was into uh, Canada a little further. And that's how John Studd and I um, formed a relationship, a bond. And people say, or people uh, put down in writing in, in ink, they said that John Studd trained me. Well, well, maybe there's a certain degree of truth to that, but did we ever get in the ring and work out and him showing me top wrist lock, an arm bar, a head, oh, headlock is easy. But, no, we never got in the ring together, and John did never, ever physically train me. If he was training me anything, he was training me to see that these people are not, they're caricatures, they're, char they're characters that you see on TV, and this is a business, which I didn't, you know, I kind of, Listen, everyone who says they're not a mark and they're watching wrestling, actually Elite Wrestling is on now, or AEW is on, but um, whoever says that they weren't a mark, they're lying. They, you know, they got, I, 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 I was a mark, otherwise I wouldn't have gotten the business. You know, what, what drew me into the business? Because right. I liked it so much. Right. As a kid living in Washington Heights, New York, I used to run to the, to the I forget why, I used to even watch it in Spanish on Channel 41 or Channel 47, and then, of course, I watched it, I believe it was on Channel 9, you know, which now you've got, i got more channels on TV than I know what to do with, but, um, no, John, John's a hell of a man, and I was really kind of brokenhearted to hear that he passed away of leukemia and, uh, it's a shame that this poor kid has it too. Um, oh God, I don't know his name now. It's not set. It's um, Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns, yeah. But uh, no, that that was you know me getting into get getting my foot in the door. Granted, I had three matches that that night. They saw a decent sized guy with the tan and the hair and you know the looks and the you know the whole thing. You know. Um, I don't even know how old I was in 83, but it was in 83 where I had a debut match. Um, I, I, I don't... I, I remember I remember being put in the ring with Nikolai Volkov, one of the first matches, and uh, boy, is he a clumsy bastard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I love him, but he's a clumsy bastard. He really was. And they put me in there, and they, uh, as Chris Benoit would say, and I'm sorry if anyone gets offended, he would say he he, he just uh, chopped meat and just beat me up and then and then uh, pin, you know, beat me up during the match and then pinned me. But as time went on, somebody must have seen something in me that said, Well wait a minute, this guy's his work is getting better so whatever top guys we want to come into this company, um, for example, ravishing Rick Rude Kurt Henning, um, I'm trying Jake the Snake when he was a heel, even Shawn Michaels. I had a wonderful match with Shawn Michaels. R Ric Flair, they would put me with those guys because they knew I could work, and they knew 
that their star that they were bringing in from someplace else was not going to get hurt. You know, I could work, I could protect their talent that they want to highlight, and it was it was a safe bet, you know. And um, so I, I felt good about that, you know, and I probably didn't get it. Uh, it probably took me a little while to understand what they were doing with me, and I also should have been a little bit more aggressive as far as creative um, control. I should have thrown my ideas, should have, would have, could have, but, you know, um, I should have I should have been more involved with what they were doing with me. And I had that opportunity when it came to the Young Stallions, and I'm sure you were about to approach that sooner. Mm-hmm. Yes, yep. Um, I had that opportunity with the Young Stallions because – I was the last to find out that they had any plans for us by number one stealing Jimmy Hart's "Crank It Up" song, um, number two that Paul was involved in a meeting that they were going to give Mr. Make Mr. T our manager. We were going to take the belts off of Brett and Jim, and there was more to it than I was ever aware of, and um, that's where. Maybe Paul was a better businessman in, in that respect because I uh, I met him and I had gone to his townhouse with, when he was living with his first wife and I think he had just had his first baby and uh, he was a two story townhouse and or, or he was upstairs or something like that it was a beautiful townhouse with big thick shag carpeting and sectional couch, you know, all around the room and, you know, China cabinet with high-end china and I mean, he he, had, he dressed the nines, you know, he had pleated, pleated slacks he had the shiny Bally's shoes with the tassels and, I mean, collared shirt and everything and here I am, you know a guy from Paramus, New Jersey with work boots ripped up sneakers, jeans with holes in them and you know, it, it, it was a different. It was uh, it was two different individuals not being able to connect. But I'm going to let you speak because I feel myself going off on a rant here. Well, what do you think about the pairing and originally kind of putting you guys together? And you said maybe like the chemistry is not there, but what do you think initially? Because it does look like a you know a good young tag team. Yes, I mean it was a good. It, it, it was something that could have been more than it turned out to be, but. The office or the road agent's office, same thing, um, got wind of the fact that we had, I don't want to make this nasty, but we had a uh, personality conflict. He came from a certain world. I came from a different world. And like I said, I was just happy to be there. He wanted to be, um, when he got involved with, I think the next one after me was, Hercules, it was power and glory. And who was the glory? And then it was pretty wonderful. I don't know if I'm saying in the correct order, but it was pretty wonderful. Well, who was the pretty? Paul. Do you know how many times he said he was right. the best, best four horsemen? I mean, that he, he, made, he made comments even against Ric Flair, who to this date is probably still involved in wrestling some way, somehow. But um, I I, uh, it, I have no I have no ill will because I wasn't even aware of it. 
You know, I was doing this because I enjoyed professional wrestling. I used to run to the screen and, you know, touch the buttons when I could reach him and change the channel. And Paul was more business, more about money, more about creativity, which is a wonderful thing. Had we been able to combine the two, you know, his head and my head or his mind and my mind, I think it would have been great. It really would have been great, but there was, there was, I don't know if there was fear or uncertainty about one addressing the other. I mean, I, I maybe he didn't. We didn't know how to communicate. We were young kids, you know, young muscle heads, you know, and uh, he um, never communicated that to me. And um, I, I, I just. It's a shame. I mean, I've just got asked uh, yesterday about um, if there's ever an opportunity for the for me to go into the Hall of Fame. Would it be as a single competitor, or would it be as the Young Stallions? And oh my God, I mean, if you win or share the victory with the first ever Survivor Series winners. It would be the Young Stallions, you know. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be just me, you know. It would be the Young Stallions, and uh, so that 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 was my, um, you know. I, I I go off sometimes so much I I forget the original question. <laughs> I apologize for that. Well, but, what uh, about what about the name Young Stallions? Obviously, kind of Bruno kind of says it, but do you think that was a good basically tag team name for you guys? See, I'm not sure. I've heard this in different ways. I've heard that Bruno said the Young Stallions or the Italian Stallions. And um, Paul has made reference to this about, you know, he had his little his flag of his country, Itali- Italian flag, on his uh, hindquarters, so to speak, uh, of his trunks. And I said, well, Paul, I said, I don't feel comfortable with Italian stallions. I said, I'm, I'm half Greek. I mean, what, what, you know, what, what is that gonna? I mean, you're trying to project something by putting the Italian flag on your trunks, and I, I just wouldn't feel comfortable with that. And he said, Why? Well, you know, he said something about, Well, it's a big work. Doesn't mean anything anyway. I said, Well, then why don't you wear, the, you know, something about, Why don't I put the Greek flag all over my ass? <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, you know, but. There was really no, I, I'm not sure which one Bruno said, and Bruno was a guy that uh, living in Washington Heights, New York, and I, I, my uncle raised me like a father, and my aunt, God rest their souls, my aunt, they raised me, as she was my mother, um, but um, he would take me to the garden. I remember a couple of occasions I couldn't, uh, I couldn't believe that I was there watching Pedro Morales or Bruno San Martino because we we didn't have very far to go from Washington Heights down to uh to the garden. It wasn't far at all. So you know, I, I, I uh hey listen, if we could all turn back time, you know, I'd do it all over again, but you know, knowing what I know now it would be done a little bit different. But who hasn't said that a thousand times? Right. So did you guys have like physical altercations or anything like that? I mean, what was kind of the relationship like? You said it's kind of a personality thing, but was it anything more than that? Well, in the locker room, it was, um, I remember one incident where 
Paul and I, you know, we 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 didn't even. I mean, we never shared a room together. Uh, we never shared anyone together. Um, <laughs> um, we we uh, we uh, we we just went our separate ways. I I I remember it. You know, I I get I get. Um, I get reprimanded for failure to have a memory, but there are certain things I do remember. Um, driving, we were going from the airport in L.A. to maybe Sherman Oaks, which is, I guess, I think it's northwest of where the airport was, and he had rented his car, I rented my car, and we we passed each other on the highway. And I says, this, this, isn't, this isn't right. This isn't right. There was a, there was a lack of a considerable lack of communication. And repeat your question again, so I don't go off on a tangent. What was the initial question? I threw you too, didn't I? No, no. It was basically if you guys had physical altercations. Oh, physical altercations. Yeah. It yeah. was the, it was one time, and I I know that Paul and I were more alike than he really thought, but. Um, there was one time we were, oh, we, I know he got his ass kicked from Coco Beware. I don't know if you heard that story. No, no, actually I didn't. Oh, God, really. Um, but there was one time with me, let me stay on that and remind me of the Coco Beware story. There was uh, there was one time we were in a, in a, at a venue getting ready for a match and with the Young Stallions, and um, he was in one end of the locker room, and, of course, I was at the complete opposite end of the locker room. And he came by me, and this is, may have been when he started his uh, illustrious boxing career. Um, oh boy! But um, I, <laughs> I don't know if you're even aware of that. But um, he he had tried some boxing, but didn't work out. You can't win when you're on the ground. But anyway, um, he came in the locker room where I was dressing, putting on my boots. I remember that like it was yesterday, and. He started punching the lockers over my head, you know, and I, of course I, I, I turned and looked up. I didn't say nothing. He kept punching the lockers. Like, I, I don't know what, what was that supposed to mean. Are you looking for me to ask you, what what are you doing, trying to make your hands bleed? Or right. are you trying to get my goat? Or, what? you know, I, I just left it alone. I let him keep punching the lockers. I mean, granted, it was... The way I was sitting and the way I was seated was facing those lockers, so maybe he was trying to get some fire out of me. But I don't know if this was pre-Coco or post-Coco. But um, and I'll get—I don't know what he what what he was trying to get out of me, other than to fire me up and to re um, maybe to uh, get back his manhood from his his. Um, uh, from his uh, uh, poor, poor uh, performance against Coco at the, in the in the locker room in, at the Rosemont in Chicago, but yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what what was going through his head. I really don't. And if he was trying to fire me up, that just would have got us both fired. But um, anyhow, um, yeah, the Coco Beware thing. No, it never got physical. It never, it, it never, it never got physical. I don't think either one of us wanted it. Uh, number one, you lose your job. You right. Know, yep. Uh, I mean, I, I've had people 
spit on me. And I mean, you watch matches from back in the day. They're, they're unhappy with you. They'll spit on you. They'll throw soda on you. They'll throw beer at you. They'll throw hot, whatever, you know. Years ago, uh, the ring at the end of the match would be full of fucking garbage and, excuse my language, but be full of garbage and, and, and all that stuff, depending on how the people felt. But um, now, the Coco Beware incident, and uh, I'll, get, I'll get back to the garbage incident. <laughs> the, uh, the Coco Beware incident is we were coming into, uh, somehow, some way, Paul and I ended up in a car together. I don't know what power put that together, but anyhow, we ended up in a car, and we drove to the building, it was the uh, Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, Illinois, and we were going, we were walking down the ramp, we may have even had, I don't know if we parked the car, or something, or we may have had a car drop us off, I'm not sure, but we were walking down the ramp, and Paul said to somebody, one of the security people, says, where are the wrestlers, uh, dressing so he goes well coco beware is over here to the left or to the right whatever i don't remember that he said coco's got a room over here by himself and the rest of the guys you know are upstairs on the second floor so paul made a comment unbeknownst that, that he was within earshot of coco beware he says oh i guess the f and superstars get their own dressing room well it wasn't too long after we got upstairs in the dressing room with the rest of the boys that Coco comes walking in, and he has he, he sees Paul, and I can see I can see this happening, and so I was there I swear to God and um, I was there but anyway, Coco walks across towards Paul, confronts Paul, he says that you just came in here and said the fucking superstar excuse my language the effing superstars get dressed downstairs. He goes, don't you realize I've got a bird with me that I've got to take out to the ring and I want to keep that bird. He explained himself quickly, but it wasn't too long after that. I don't know what Paul said, if anything, because Coco was pissed. He was pissed. So next thing you know, boom, he nails Paul in the head. Boom, he nails Paul in the face. Boom, he nails Paul again. Now, while all this is happening, Paul's trying to get his fancy necklace off. He's trying to get his rings off. He's trying to get all of his jewelry. And he's getting punched in, during and in between all that. And and I remember Arnold Scullin, God rest his soul. I said, Arnie, I said, you got to stop that. I said, well, you stop that. I said, come on, guys, cut it out, cut it out. You know, we found, I broke him up. And I'm wondering why no one in the dressing room wanted to stop this, this well, one-sided, very one-sided, lopsided fight. And when I asked Arnie Skull, and I said, Arnie, you know, Arnie would sit there, smoke his cigar, play cards with whoever he was playing cards with. It may have well even been Andre. He used to play cards with Andre a lot. And um, and I said, Arnie, I said, why didn't you, you, you saw this, and you're the, you're the road agent, you know. I see. He goes, Ah, he said, you should have let it go on longer. What'd you break it up for? <laughs> <laughs> something, something, uh, you know, like, eh, you know, uh, you know how we, you know, like it's something about Paul's personality that he felt was deserved, if not more so, about Paul getting his ass kicked. You know, it was embarrassing to say the least. You know, and maybe 
maybe it, maybe I gave you my stories out of line. Yeah, that's when he got involved with boxing. I don't know if you've ever done any history on that. He did some golden, uh, golden, uh, what's it called? Golden, uh, gold gloves. Golden gloves, and uh, I, I remember bumping into a legitimate golden gloves as well as professional wrestler, and, and I'm pretty sure you know who that is. That's Mark Merrill. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he goes, I, he goes, I saw that fight. He goes, Paul. Paul had no business being in a boxing ring, you know. So, but 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 Paul was a very good athlete, you know. Um, he always wanted to try different things, and I remember one night, he we were somewhere. It was us against the shadows. Um, one was Randy Colley. Uh, I, I hope he's still with us. And the other no one, passed away. Randy passed away, and yeah. the other one was Jose Rivera. And Jose is down in Puerto Rico. I think he's still alive. Yeah. Um, and and anyway, um, they wrestled under this. They created tag teams for us to get over. Um, now Randy Colley was a moon dog. Jose Luis Rivera was just Jose Luis Rivera from so and so Puerto Rico. But they put them together, put them in cost uh, costumes or outfits, costumes, whatever you want to call it. And uh, Paul says, I want to try something. I want to try something. I said, what do you want to do now? You haven't done it. Because I want to do a sunset flip off the top. I said, all right. I says, I'll I'll tag you. You come in, make a little comeback, and turnbuckle to turnbuckle, put him in the turnbuckle as he comes out. Oh, I know what it was. He comes out, gut shot him. Have him, you know, bend over in a bend over position, and um, you know, I always like to put psychology behind something. If he comes out of the turnbuckle, he's not bent over. You got to give him a, a, a boot to the gut or or a uh, a fist to the gut. You know, he's called a gut punch. Gut punch. Bend him over. Have him turn towards where you are, and up on the uh, up on uh, up on top of the uh, top turnbuckle, and then do the sunset flip. So I tag, I tag, oh God, I tag, I, I tag Paul in. He makes the little, he makes the comeback, and he shoots Randy in the corner. Um, and as Randy comes out, he gives him a shot to the gut, and then he goes towards um, uh, Rivera, uh, Shadow Number whatever, and he knocks him off the apron. Now Paul climbs on top, and. Mind you, I'm going towards my corner because I just got done getting my ass beat selling. I go towards my corner. Paul's not there. That's fine, okay, because I know he's going to do the sunset flip off the top rope for the first time, off the top turnbuckle. And I hear a thud. And he missed Randy Colley. <laughs> completely missed it. Oh, my God. He missed the body. He missed doing the sunset flip. He, he just completed So I said, Paul, you know, at the end of the match, at the end of the – I don't know how we finished it, but however we finished it, we finished the match. And at the end, I said, you know, I got a new name for that, that move you just you did in the ring, you tried in the ring. I said, I think instead of the sunset flip off the top, you should call it the sunset flop off the top. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's just uh, – Going down memory lane, and it's uh, it's nice for me. You know, it's 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 really heartwarming, and it's nice for me to be 
I wish you were here, but I'm speaking to this black box that has my phone number, my phone attached to it. But anyway, what else you got for me? What about the tag teams of that era? I mean, this is the golden age of wrestling. You had so many great tag teams to work with, right? Excellent, excellent tag teams. I mean, matches with uh, with Jim and Brett, you know, were fantastic, and they put us over a couple times. Some of them were, I think one of them was uh, on a Saturday night main event, which they would preempt Saturday Night, Saturday night Live, the comedy show, and they would put the wrestling on because Vince had connections with uh, – NBC. So, um, yeah, no, the tag teams were great. Um, and But one of the better tag teams, and I, ironically I was looking at what was, was, was the uh, the Rockers. You know, now, uh, they, they, they were fantastic. We never worked a babyface match against them, and I think that would have been great. Because um, it was all, you know, and then you, got, you had your heels. I'm trying to think. We had Demolition. Yep. That, we ran through, uh, they ran through us, I should say. Um, and Demolition, Brett and Jim quite a bit. We wrestled with, they, and actually there was a couple other times. I remember one time a finish got screwed up somehow, and we had to finish the match. And when I got to the curtain, Vince was standing there, and he says, go back out there and do it again. Go back out there and do it again. I said, Vince, we just, he goes, go do it again. Don't worry about it. So we went out there, and I had to I had to grab the microphone and kind of like call them out. I said, "You guys cheated on that. You guys did this. You guys that wasn't fair. Come on out here and give us another 15 seconds. I guarantee you will." You know, I had to cut a little bit of a promo. Mm-hmm. So um, we called them back out, and they came out and did their finish to I don't know if it was Paul or me, but um, there was a lot of tag teams, and I. Uh, I was watching that dark side of the ring and saw the uh, Road Warriors. Uh, it's just, it was just a sad ending. And um, Mike was a tough son of a bitch, but um, I, 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 I'd, uh, as far as tough son of a bitches go, I, I don't think you're gonna find one more so than uh, King Tonga. You know. Uh, From the Islanders. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think Mike would have came out on the short end of that stick. You know. But uh, even even uh, I remember a time. Give me a second. I catch a breath. Uh, I'm sure you know. You took a sip of beer. Anyway, um, there was a, we were up in. I was very close friends with Don. I still am to this day. And uh, Don um, and Tonga, we, we always, everyone called him King. And uh, and, and and Mike and Animal Joe and Joe and Hawk or Joe and Mike were just wonderful people, uh, but uh, Mike was a little bit off the rails, to say the least. But Tonga, Tonga and Don, Buffalo, New York, way back whenever. Um, excuse me, I uh, we were at a bar, and now Don, when he came to work for. They called it New York, the territory, Vince's father. He came up here and he settled in a, uh, he settled in Woodridge, Wood, Woodbridge. He settled in Woodbridge, so I know you know where that is. Yep. He settled in Woodbridge as well as Tonga did, you know, and uh, their families, their kids went to school together, their wives knew each other. It was, it was, it was nothing but nice. It was sweetheart, nice, and 
we were up in a bar, it was me in Buffalo, New York, a bar attached to a hotel, which is, you know, pretty much the case. Um, and Tonga was next to me, and next to him was Don. Well, Don <laughs> Don could be a little bit of a ball breaker at times, especially back in his heyday when, you know, he uh, he, he would uh, he, he liked his beer, let's put it that way. And... Um, and Tonga, him and I were standing, Tonga and I and Don were standing side by side at the bar. And Tonga's in between Don and me. And he looks at me and he goes, Jim, I'm going to beat him up. I said, Tonga, I said, what's the matter? He says, he keeps making fun of me, calling me the karate kid. <laughs> I said, listen, I said, no, I'm going to hit him. I'm going to hit him. I'm just telling you I'm going to hit him. I said, I said, Tonga, I said, King, I said, you, 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 you can't do that. I said, don't you know when Don is doing that, that he does that because he, he's, that's his way of showing that he's, you're a friend. You know, he can cut loose on you and you're not going to take it to heart. I had to talk him down off, you know, off, I had to talk him back on the rails because mm-hmm. he was going to do something to Don, but Don's no... Don's no pussy by far, but um, and I said I said Tonga I said King I said you you can't I said, you can't hit Don what are you gonna do when you go home tomorrow you're gonna tell your wife you can tell your wife you beat up her friend your kids are gonna go to school together you both live in the same complex so uh, I I, uh, I I don't know how how that would have turned out but knowing the reputation that Tonga had. And I get this information. I had gotten this information from Jake Roberts. I had said, Jake, I said, what What are these, why are these guys like that? I said, he goes, you know, the Samoans, the uh, the Hawaiians, the, they've got this anger, this this thing that they they don't, you know, square off and fight or wrestle. Or, but he goes, you got to understand something. He goes, these guys like from the islands of Fiji or Tonga or I can't name some of the other ones, or even Hawaii for that matter, these guys where Tonga came from, they were cannibals less than 100 years ago. So, you know, you're, they're not going to square off and fight with you. <laughs> so it, it all it all kind of calmed down. And, uh, it, it, I mean, I, I don't even think to this day Don's aware of it unless he's heard me do one of these interviews, but uh, I don't even know that Don was aware of it, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure Tonga uh, rem- remembers it. Last time I I saw him, I was down in, uh, when I was living in Florida, at, uh, by, somewhere by Planet Hollywood on Disney property. But um, anyway, that's that. What do you got now? Also, just to throw it out there, you mentioned Jose Luis Rivera before the Conquistadors, great tag team. You mentioned oh, yes. kind of the, the Islanders, the Brainbusters, the Bolsheviks, the Rujos. I mean, absolutely loaded with good tag teams. We had good tag teams to work with. We really did. Um, uh, I I was just, uh, you know, it, to, to, to me doing a job or, you know, not getting my hand raised didn't did mean – I didn't understand – the the business aspect of the business, you know. When I first heard Creative Control, Ultimate Warrior, Jim was Jim was telling me, he goes, he goes, no, I want to create my character, and you know, and he, he had all sorts of ideas for comic books and 
things like that. I don't know if they ever came became uh, came into fruition. I believe one of them did, the comic book. But um, good luck finding that. But no, I, I was not. Like I said earlier, I was just happy to be invited to the party. You know, I didn't want it. It, it didn't necessarily have to be my party, but I was just happy to be invited to the party of uh, the wrestling world. And um, that's you know, there were great tag teams, the Rougeaus when they turned them heel. Um, I'm trying to think of something. And then and then it was obvious as to what they were going to do. I don't know if they ever used Mr. T, but we. After Paul and I, after they split Paul and I up, I think from there came the uh, came Tito, Tito Strike Force. Yes. Tito, Tito and uh, Rick Martel. Now uh, I don't want to. I think I think uh, Tom Zink was gone. Tom Zink and Tom Zink and Rick Martel came in at the same time as the Can Am Connection to take over the Young Stallion spot. And then they had some kind of tiff, and then it was Tito and Martel. And uh, I've asked Tito. He lives he lives close to me and whatever happened there. And Tito's such a classy guy that he will never, you know, divulge, you know, what kind of, why there was animosity. Well, it's like, you know, it's a marriage. You know, if, you, if you're married, you, you're not going to hit a speed bump in the road. Are you not going to have to hold hands and jump over a hurdle? Of course you are. So that's what this is. That's what being a tag team is. And um, I, 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 uh, I found out something new as far as tag teams go, that, that Paul, I mean, I'm Paul, I'm sorry, that um, uh, Mike, Mike uh, from, from the Road Warriors, Mike, I, I can't pronounce his last name, it sounds like a strong German name, Hedgefand or something mm-hmm. like that. I thought that he was in the room with Davy Boy when Davy Boy died, but in actuality, the more I think about it, I don't think um, uh, Joe mentioned who was in the room with with uh, with Mike, but I they didn't mention Davy Boy at all. Uh, but Davy Boy very well could have been in the room with Nightheart. You know, because they were, their um, recreational choice was the same, and as well as Mike's was, you know. So I, I just, uh, you know, they, they, they were, they were probably the best tag team in the business to date, as far as what they were trying to portray. Two big, you know animalistic type guys no pun intended with the animal but no they were i mean i you when you heard i mean you knew you know and then they came to vince and vince what they came to new york or they came to vince's territory or whatever he's always got to go and change something left the road warriors because he wants to be the creator of a tag team they can't say, they, well, oh, I don't know if there were copyright infringements or what on the Road Warriors, but why Why did he want to, why did, why, why, I'm sure they would have been very happy to keep the name the Road Warriors as opposed to, okay, now we've got the Legion of Doom. I think something was lost there, you know, when they did that. 
but they were still they were still over, you know. And uh, I love when I hear the story about Vince taking their finish in a strip joint. Oh yeah, yep. <laughs> I'm sure you heard it. How yep. old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I am 37. 37. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So you know your your wrestling history pretty good. Oh, grew up in the best time. Eighties oh, and nineties, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was it. That was it. I really don't know. I mean, I had met, um, I had bumped into Dwayne years ago when he was, uh, I think it was, uh, it was a gym down the road. I I go to or have I did go to for a while, and uh, he was in New York hosting, uh, rehearsing to host Saturday Saturday Night Live. So I pulled up to the gym and I said, uh, I'm thinking to myself, whose double stretch limo is this out here? So when I got in the gym, the owner, who's a real asshole, who's a real a-hole, um, he uh, come over to me and he goes, your friend's here. I says, yeah, I really don't know him. I know him through his father. I knew him when he was a little kid, you know, and I've got to have 15, 20 years on Dwayne. Um, I said I didn't say that to him, but I'm, I'm telling you, I, I said I I, I I don't know him very well, but he uh, he goes well when you when you say hello to him or whatever you do, he goes tell him he owes me for a t-shirt. I said when did he get the t-shirt? He goes he was in here six months ago. He left without paying for a t-shirt. Now you got a guy who's got a double stretch limo and plans on having it out there every day after he's rehearsal or before rehearsal for Saturday Night Live. And you want me to tell him that he owes you for a $5 T-shirt that he got six months ago while he was here and forgot to pay you? You know, so I left it alone. And um, as I was walking towards the locker room, I wasn't going to bother him or, you know, be like, you know, like everybody else. Oh, Dwayne the Rock, Dwayne the Rock, you know. Um, So he goes, he goes, we made eye contact and he kind of knew who I was and he goes, Jim, I says, yeah, hi, Dwayne, how are you? And I says, I goes, good, 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 come here, you know, and we talked for a little bit, idle chit-chat, and sweetheart of a man, I mean, a sweetheart of a man, and I never, I wouldn't have the balls audacity to to tell him that the owner wants you to pay for a T-shirt before you leave that you got here uh, six months ago when you were in town. Well, the only reason the boys were going to this particular gym was because I had mentioned it to him. I said, if you're going to be in New York, Newark, um, even Philly or Madison Square Garden, New Jersey, whatever, go to this gym. You know, I was promoting the gym a little bit. So uh, I didn't say nothing to him. And we, he worked out, finished his workout. I did my workout. And I was looking to see what was going to happen. The owner was such a pussy that he didn't have the balls to walk up to him to say anything about a T-shirt. You're looking at a $5 wholesale T-shirt at the time. And uh, I see the, the girls, the young kids at the front desk, and they're, you know, saying something to him, which I'm sure had to do with the t- I know it had to do with the T-shirt. because And then Dwayne's, you know, looked up, and he was looking around, and I had this feeling that he was looking to say goodbye to me. And when we made eye contact, he raised his hand. I raised my hand. I said, you take care. Good luck with everything. And, and that was it. And he didn't he didn't have his I could see him mouthing that he didn't have his money with him or his 
fanny pack with him, which he's famous for. And uh, he, uh, he, his driver came back in. We had said good, we had said goodbye. His driver came back in, put money on the counter, walked out, and he never came back in again. But the point is, he's just a classy. He came across as a very classy, nice young man, and that is you're being you're being trained uh, to respect the business and the people in the business that paved the road for you. So anyway, that that's my story there. And, and again, like I forgot the initial question. <laughs> no, I love it. I, it's a great great story. I actually wanted to ask you a question about you kind of were talking about a little bit of the split ups, you know, strike force, young stallions, you guys breaking up. What was that feud supposed to be like between you and Paul Roma? Because it was kind of a brief little feud. It didn't really last. I mean, you guys didn't get a lot of um, big time uh, pub over it. I don't know. I, 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 I think we worked together in the ring. I'm not sure. Um, there, there, may, there may have been a match, a couple, three matches. I don't know. I, I don't really remember what was the feud supposed to be. Well, maybe they were trying to take real life and put it out there on the uh, – Right, right. You know, that's it. But um, it didn't last long, and if anything, it was to get him over a little bit more so that he could be put with the uh, – who, who, I don't know who the next person was. Was it Hercules? Yes. Okay, and and then he went on when he went down to WCW. He was pretty wonderful and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But if if it was anything, it wasn't anything that uh, you know. Back in the day, Vince would have loved you know to see two of the boys go at it in the ring and bloody each other up. You know, he would he would love that shit. You know, he uh, that's just the way he is. I mean, uh, people ask me what do I think about Vince McMahon. I say Satan calls him for advice. <laughs> so, but, yeah. Uh, I don't. Uh, I, I don't remember if, if at all. I, if we had any matches, they were less than a handful. And until they found out what to do with him and what was going to be done with me, and I was pretty much in the stalemate position. And uh, he pushed his ideas, his creative, and and more, and good for him, and good for him. And getting back to me just being happy to be a part of this thing where I could stand in a in a ring and there's anywhere from 2,000 to 20,000 people, you know, whether they cheer me, jeer me, whatever they do, I've got their attention, you know, and that, that was great. That was great. It is crazy. If you look at it, really, you're in the WWF from 1984 to 1994. I mean, 10 year run. If you really look at it, I mean, that's quite an impressive feat in the world's largest wrestling company. Thank you very much. Yeah, there there was a couple snags, and I think I've gone over them tonight. But, yes. Yep. You know, I I just hung in there. You know, I hung in there, and uh, I was down in um, WCCW for about thirty plus days, and uh, I had already gotten a taste of the New York territory. And that was the only time that I let money, um, the only time I have let money interfere with my decision making. And uh, WCCW, the uh, I'm sure you know what it is, World Class Championship Wrestling. Fritz von Erich, oh yeah. Fritz von Erich, yes. And I was down there, and they were going to do some big things with me. They were going to do some, well, not big things. They were, I, they had plans for me. And um, I just, I, 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 did, I, I had to live in a hotel for a month, which is not, is not uh, 
it's not like some of the horror stories that the boys can tell you, but um, it, it was, and I had, at, 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 I had to live in a hotel, and I would travel to these uh, uh, backyard barns and have wrestling matches there, and actually I was working for a promoter, I can't remember his name, and uh, the guys that, two, two guys that came that made it made it very uh, did very well in the wrestling business from the Houston area were uh, uh, Booker T and Stevie Ray. You know they uh, we we had worked for the same guy for a short period of time only because I was there for a short period of time. You know because I had already gotten a taste of the New York territory so to speak, and uh, I was invited to come down to work for this gentleman, I can't remember his name right now, um, but, but yeah, no, I went down there, and then that next time, the next time that I had bumped into Booker T, he goes, you remember so-and-so, well, we were in the audience watching you, you know, him and his brother, you know, and uh, I said, no, I'm sorry, I, I don't remember, you know, we ended up working for him, and you went back to New York, and this and that and that, and yeah, it was, uh, but I but I know Booker, Booker or Stevie Ray. If you ask them right now, they'd know the guy's name because they stayed on with him for a while. And I, uh, I, I uh, let money interfere with the opportunity to create myself and learn my craft in the smaller territories. And that was the, that was the one and only time where I did that. And uh, I had gotten. I mean, you'd go to a, a venue in the New York Territory, WWF Territory, and you're making $500 where you go down to Texas and you're either wrestling for WCCW or, or you're wrestling for this other independent guy and you're making $50. So I was like, well, this is ridiculous. I can't even cover my hotel bill. you know. So I ended up back in New York with my tail between my legs. <laughs> uh, but you had pl- you had planned on staying longer. I mean, really, but you know, obviously the lore of New York. I would have stayed. I would. I should have stayed at WCCW for a long time, but um, I, I I I I didn't. I should have stayed there. I had the opportunities. I had the opportunity to go to uh, NWA as well. Um, I was on the road, and I had gotten a call. I don't know if there were cell phones at the time. Somehow I got a message that uh, Magnum T.A., um, I don't know if you know that name. He worked Absolutely, at yep. N.W.A., he was booking. And somehow, some way, he got in touch with me. I said, well, you know, I was in a hotel in uh, Reno, Nevada. And uh, he says, we'd like to bring you in and, uh, you know, take a look at you and see what we can do with you and, you know, get a feel for you. And I said, well, I said, well, what would you have in mind? They said, well, we'll bring you in for about, you know, we guarantee you about 350 a week. And I said, 350 a week? I said, no, I said, or 500, something like 500 a week. And I says, well, I said, no, I says, I, I financially I can do that, you know. Not, not, I had obviously gotten a little bit of an education on, uh, on, on the business, you know, on my own. So I said, well, fi- you know, even if it's 500 a week, I said, I uh, I can make that in one night working for Vince. You know, I said, well, that's the offer if you want it. And I never went when I should have. 
you know, I really should have taken the opportunity to go to WCCW. I went to the, to stay at WCCW with the Von Eric crew, and also um, this uh, WCCW and then NWA. I believe it was NWA. It was a Crockett promotion. Mm-hmm. So I, I uh, that that's where I kind of because I had already gotten a taste of New York, and I know I'm repeating myself, but um, I had gotten a taste of, as much as I say, the money was it was just a byproduct, it was until I saw my bank account starting to go up and up and up and up, and I could have nicer things or buy that TV if I wanted that TV or that piece of furniture or that piece of jewelry. Uh, I didn't wear jewelry myself much, but for my wife at the time, but it just... Uh, you know, pay my bill. It was, it was, uh, I, I didn't, I, I was, uh, as I like to say, I'm, I'm a late, late bloomer. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But then again, am I going to go out there and do something I don't enjoy doing and risk myself getting injured like I am these days? You know, as I'm sitting here talking to you, my back is starting to throb. And um, not that I want, not that I'm in a rush to get off. No, I'm sure I've taken up quite a bit of your time tonight, but, um, and we can continue. But, um, no, I I, I would have done things different. I think we all learn by our mistakes. Um, And, again, I'm going to stick to that um, money was a byproduct of what I enjoyed doing. So I never worked a day in my life. But money is probably what interfered with my decision-making. How's that for an answer? That is great. I mean, that's kind of uh, the most important thing to, you know, a lot of people, but I think that that makes sense. Now, as far as kind of leaving WWF and being done with them in 94, I think maybe you kind of cover a little bit of it, like that quote-unquote enhancement guy or that journeyman guy, or, you know, as you're kind of going through, as we get close to 94, you know, you're losing the Yokozuna or they're pairing you up with maybe a younger Owen Hart or a or Marty Jannetty, what did you kind of think of your role as you were heading towards the, the twilight of the, the WWF run? Um, in the beginning of WCW? End of WWF, beginning of WCW? Yeah, the end of WWF, yep. That's where we're at. Um, I think, other than Teddy Long, the person that helped me the most in the wrestling business or treated me accordingly was Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan treated me accordingly. Here's a guy, he's got the tan, he's got the body, he's got the hair, he's got the look, the girls like him, blah, blah, blah. But um, he goes, he treated me the way I should have been treated. Because, now mind you, time is going on and I'm learning a little bit more about the business. Kevin was nothing short of wonderful to me. And then um, he treated me accordingly. I got I got what I felt to be a good guarantee per match um, or per week. I don't remember what it was. I think I think it may have been per match. Um, and and um, he he, treat, he 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 did that. And then to show the political aspect of this uh, again, to show the po- the politics of this business we call wrestling, it's. Um, Terry Taylor, who I never really got along with, um, never really cared for too much, a little bit, 
thought he knew no thinks he knows everything he's he's always got a he's always got a job but you know I don't know what he had to do to get it but anyway um and then all stemmed from uh Terry Taylor got the book so to speak in uh WCW somehow some way he weaseled his way into being the booker now Terry was in WWF for a short period of time as the Red Rooster Mm-hmm. And he, uh, I was the kind of guy like Randy Savage that would like to go over a match and go over a match and go over a match and go over a match. And it was right here in New Jersey. I forget what the arena was called, Continental Airlines, something like that, whatever. And um, I was there, and Vince was at the venue. And uh, I don't know if it was TV or what. Um and we had and, and Terry and uh, Terry had his you know hair done up nice red and spiked and which Vince wanted him by the way to to wear twenty four seven. So we, he I said Terry I said what do you want to do? He says don't worry about it. He says I'll call it out there. I said well you know I said I like to have a general idea. I said if if you're going over with your your clock buster or whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> uh, because he did look like a rooster, but mm-hmm. yep. um, anyway, I said if you're going to go over, uh, you know, let's go over, you know, a couple things I want to get in. And he goes, no, no, no. He says I've been doing this a long time. I was down at, with Bill Watts. I was here. I was there. And I said, don't worry about it. Just listen to me in the ring. I'll call the match. And granted, I understand that was old school. Now they give you a script. But anyway, um, so Terry and I. And, and, and Vince happened to be walking right by, and I went over to him and I said, Vince, I said, what do you think about someone that doesn't like to go over a match and over a match and over a match and over a match and try and get certain things in with the other person and, you know, coordinate something, some sort of semblance of a match, as opposed to calling it in the ring, cold. He goes, well, I think that person who doesn't want to uh, go over it and over it is non-professional. So I said, okay. I said, because I'm going out with Terry and, you know, I'm trying to get my point across. I'd like to do, I'd like to, if you're going to go over, I'd like to do this. I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that. And then, of course, we'll do your stuff. That's fine. And then in the end, you get your hand raised. He says, well, I, you know, whatever, work it out, you know. And uh, I said, you know, I said, screw it. You know, I went out there and I let Terry call it and, I couldn't tell you right now what the match was like, but that's that's where the animosity was. Um, so when I when he got he got to be the booker in WCW, uh, I think I don't even know if it was WCW. Was it WC? Yeah, it had to be WCW. Mm-hmm. And uh, after Kevin, he he became the booker or part of the booking committee. I don't know. And because uh, when Kevin had it solely, he took very good care of me. Very. In the ten years I was with the WWF, Kevin took better care of me in the ring than Vince McMahon and his cronies ever did. Um, so I, 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 yeah, damn, I tell people sometimes I'm ashamed to say, you know, watch my WWF matches, you know, because I'd have to specifically tell them which matches. But um, WCW, watch them all, you know. I was treated accordingly until Terry got in there and, Coincidentally, I got injured. My shoulders, rotator cuffs had to be done and um, stuff like that. And I had met a new woman in my life who was currently my wife. And 
I hope, I hope she stays my wife. <laughs> I'm having a hard time bending over and putting my shoes on these days. But, um, no, it's uh, it, 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 what a long, strange trip it's been. And I don't know who sang that song right now. <laughs> what a long, strange trip it's been. Uh, I don't know. I'll think about it and I'll call you about it. <laughs> yes. What a As long, for- strange trip it's been. Yeah. yeah and, yeah, definitely. As far as WCW, you're right. You got a good push there. Cruiserweight title shot against Malenko. Um, a lot of victories and stuff like that. But as we yeah, head towards the a wind down and head towards the finish, do you have some favorite matches that stick out? Is that possible? Or maybe even some favorite opponents that stick out? It's almost as though I read your mind. I was thinking about my matches. My first one that called in the ring, and I trusted him, was with WWF, and it was when Shawn Michaels turned heel. I was the first, unless unless he knows differently, which at this point I don't think he remembers it, <laughs> but but not, not for any other particular reason. But we were in Poughkeepsie, New York, where Vince used to do his TV tapings. And um, Shawn and I, he said, I trusted Shawn. I trusted Shawn wholeheartedly. We had gone out, him, Marty and I partied, did our stuff, and were very, uh, very close with each other, um, and Sean said, we just go out there, and do you, do you have enough, you know, something along the lines, I'm not being verbatim here, but something along the lines of, you know, do you mind, you know, I'll call it, you know, it's, it's not what he said, it's how he said it, so I said, no, I said, you call it, I just would like to do this or that, and he was very compliant, and we went out there, and it was one of the best, one of the best matches I believe I had. Now, as far as having other very good matches, it's a topic that people don't like me to bring up or anyone to bring up. They were with Chris Benoit. And, um, I mean, it was just, I don't want to say it was a, it was a dance you know, that you didn't feel anything. You knew he was there. But when somebody works stiff like that, Calgary style, you work accordingly. And um it's it's uh they were they were excellent matches in my opinion. I think I may have had three matches with Chris. I may have had a couple with Sean, but the one that stands out was in Poughkeepsie with Sean. With Chris, it was our TV tapings, and I don't know that there was a house show. There had to be because I thought the match was great. I worked with Chris a couple, three, maybe three, four times, and um, they, it, it was, it, they were great. You know, Sean, Sean Michaels, Chris Benoit, and I, I'm sorry, people, if I'm, I'm if I'm. He's, I, you know, almost sometimes feel like Vince who put that show on after Chris, you know, he tried to jump the gun and, you know, put that TV show on about what had happened the night before, uh, a, uh, what was it, a tribute to Chris Benoit and his life and his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Vince uh, stepped on his, uh, on his own feet, for lack of a better word, the next day. He had a, he had a recanted statement. But anyway, Chris... Uh, I don't. I didn't. I didn't know Chris to be like that. You know. I. I but 
I am going a different direction. And other matches that I had um, that I thought were very good, um, Eddie Guerrero. The first time I ever did a belly-to-belly suplex. So I said, Eddie, I said, I know. He says, no, don't do it. He says, you give me the turnbuckle, give me another turnbuckle. As I stagger out, grab me here, grab me there, and just do it like you would a slam or your power slam. I said, okay. So then I started doing it, you know. And uh, Eddie Eddie was a wonderful human being. He really was. And it's a shame he's not with us today. Um, but... Um, I think I think the Chris Benoit thing will be a mystery for for all for the rest of our lives, you know. Other than the uh, the, the the brain, um, the CTE injuries and uh, concussions, because I know I've had them. And um, does it affect me? I don't know. You have to ask my wife every time I ask her. What'd you say? What'd you say? What'd you say? Where's my this? Where's my this? Where's my that? <laughs> so right. But, Oh, those, those. I'm trying to think of any others that are really standouts. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get over much, but it wasn't about getting over. It was about entertaining the audience, and that, that's. I come to realize that, and um, it was fine. It, w- it was okay. It was like um, Ricky Steamboat had told me one time. You know, uh, Coco, beware goes out there and he's got his bird with him and he's got to do the he does the dance and he does it he said and there's nothing wrong with that he knows what his job is he does his job he does it well and that's it and that's the way i feel about what what i did i knew my job i knew my position i knew what company how i was how i was getting treated i was actually shocked to get treated as well as i did in wcw they never put a belt on me or anything like that, but I, I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't want that. It's not necessary. You know, I wasn't in that role. You know, so there's a lot. I probably learned a lot more about the wrestling business being out of it than I did while I was in it. So, hmm. Kind of makes sense, oddly, you know. Yeah, because you're looking at it from a different perspective. Yep. Now, as far as you and plugs and social media and stuff, are you out there? Do you have some plugs? Do you get on social media a lot? I, I you know, I, I, I try to, but I don't. I, I Somehow I hit buttons and I ended up with a tweet account and didn't know what to do with it or how to use it or whatever. And maybe in, on another call you can, on a personal call, you can uh, uh, let me know or teach me how to do that. But, um I ended up with a, a Jim Powers at James G. Manley, which is my legal name. And uh, I, I said, how the hell, you know, my, my wife wants to know, why are you doing that? Uh, are you cheating on me? Are you, uh, well, you know, <laughs> I don't know how I did it. You know, I was prompted to push a button. There's actually a very risque picture of someone on there that I can't get off. The, the phone is the, the deleted, and I keep deleting it, and she deletes it, and it keeps popping back up. And I'm like, oh, jeez. But, no, as far as the social media, um, the only thing that I can see excuse me, that's active is um, Facebook. And I, I don't know if it's under James Manley Powers or Jim Powers or... Jim Powers Manley. I tried to. I, I think I have a couple of accounts. 
Well, all right. This has been quite the treat. Definitely an underrated legend from one of the greatest eras in wrestling. That is certainly for sure. Mr. Jim Powers, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you very much for having me, and I look forward to doing some um, some shows in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.